here again. Uh, my name's Chris Mack. I'm one of the staff members here at City Hope as a Mercy Ministry Director. Uh, recently became a deacon here as well, although those things kind of go hand in hand, but it's wonderful to be able to serve this congregation and to continue to get to know uh, each and every one of you. Uh, please be patient with me as, as I seek opportunity to do that as well. But, you know, this is a place that I call home. I want to be able to call each and one of your family. So hope that you guys feel welcome and, and comfortable here. Well, I'll do a little recap on Josh's sermon last week. Right now, we're in a sermon series called Refresh. And with Refresh, it's kind of a, a reset button. And with that reset button is an opportunity to, to, to learn and to think through what are the fundamentals when it comes to the faith that we have? And sometimes we can tend to overcomplicate what that means, but sometimes we got to hit that restart button and refresh. And so Josh led us through chapter 19 in the book of Acts last week, and he spoke about true revival. We often see that as Christians, we, we think of that as this outward um, someone who doesn't know Jesus, they have this moral change, and they come to know Jesus. But in fact, what true revival is, is when a church is willing to recognize its own sin, its own idols, and to take those and present those to Jesus and to realize where we fall short and how we need him. That is where revival begins. It begins with us. And our willingness to put down our idols, not expecting the, the, the world outside of us to, to change, but seeing the change that we need to make. And we fail to realize that often. And before we dig into chapter 20, what I want to do is share a little story with y'all. So we're going to enter the time machine, and I want to introduce y'all to a young Chris Mack uh, most folks here know that, uh, hey, I make hip-hop music, you know what I'm saying? I've been making hip-hop music since the fifth grade, and it has been a great experience learning how to produce beats. Like, I learned this stuff from my dad, how to record my own vocals, how to write my own lyrics. And this was a time period where I was also rapping about Jesus, too. I got to see the inner workings between knowing Jesus and seeing that presented in music. And so when that changed my dad's life, uh, it also started to work in mine too. So this is middle school, you know what I'm saying? Keep that image in your mind. I was a little chubby then, you know what I'm saying? I done lost a little baby weight. Good, now I'm getting it back because I'm married. <laughs> so this was a season where... I was rapping about Jesus, and now started getting older, right? High school comes. I done lost the baby fat. I done played a little football. <laughs> I done bulked up a little bit and still writing and making records, but I had a group of friends at this time where uh, we started making music together. We put together this collaboration mixtape. This was when mixtapes was a thing back in the day. You know what I'm saying? You rap over Famous rappers, beats, and all that jazz. You don't make your own beats, you rap over somebody else's beat. <laughs> but um, this project was a, a turning point for me because 
When you make music, you got to figure out your brand. If you don't think about your brand, you're not necessarily thinking about what makes you stand out from other artists. More than the lyrics, what is it about my persona that helps me stand out? How does this fit with the current trends during that time? And how will it affect my music in the way that I reach out to people? And so this is actually when I started to get up, get caught up in, in some of those hip-hop trends. You know what I'm saying? So rather than putting Jesus in my lyrics, I started to think that, you know what? In order for it to catch ears, maybe I need to talk about what's currently going on. And at this point, this is when uh, the word swag, everybody was saying swag. You know what I'm saying? ESPN was saying swag. We was back, we was swag surfing. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it was all eyes on me, you know what I'm saying? But, and, and this, this ain't to say this is necessarily wrong, right? If you, if you want to get swagged out, if you want to look good, if you want to dance, that's okay. But understanding how the heart affects the matters of my content is what's really important. And this is when I started to realize that, man, my heart is telling me that the only way I will benefit from the music that I'm making is if I take Jesus' name out of that, shrink back a little bit. And so, you know, me and my friends, we would perform. We enjoyed the content that we made. We thought it sounded good. We figured we'd get heard more. But there's one thing about my music currently that sticks with me, and that's the mantra that I have in place, and that is to foster sincere dialogue as a listener listens to the content so that they can find their purpose in life. And when I was making this music during this time, I wasn't seeing any of that happen. Wasn't seeing it happen because it lost its power and its influence. And in those moments, I thought that shrinking back from sharing the good news would actually give me more influence. So this Sunday, I'm going to be navigating through some of Acts 20 with y'all with the intention of digging through verse 27. That's, that's going to be our focal point, and we're going to get there. It's going to take some time because we're going to set the scene, though. Y'all with me on that? Okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> now, what's unique about this is Paul does not tell his audience to shrink back. In, in fact, he's presenting a case saying that I never shrank back from preaching the good news, from telling you what you needed to hear. Not only did he not shrink back, but he had no desire to do so anytime soon. And rather, instead, his goal was to finish strong. Let me hear y'all say finish strong. And he wanted the ending that was coming, that was drawing near, to be a fierce one. And in this chapter, we see that there's a couple moments where Paul has this, this, this urgency to head back to Jerusalem, even though he knows persecution is going to be there. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit's telling him, get ready, get back, okay? And he feels more urgency than ever to not shrink back. Now, this isn't normal, right? We know that Paul's been in many instances where He's been dealing with persecution. He had stones thrown at him. He was constantly rejected. But there was a sense of urgency behind the Holy Spirit's tone during this time. And so, 
this is also what I really love about going through the book of Acts in the sermon series. It's been unique to be able to look from the eyes and the lens of Paul, who was once on that road to Damascus, not believing in Jesus and seeing how the Holy Spirit has helped him journey through and to this point. So let's work together through this text and reach verse 20. And then there's going to be some stories in here that's not worth skipping over. Promise you that. So we pick up in Ephesus where Paul's getting ready to leave after the city had a huge uproar. And in verse 1, the text says, when the uproar was over, Paul sent for believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. So so what we're seeing now is Paul visiting the churches that he helped establish during his ministry in these different towns. And and there's a lot of traveling going on in these condensed verses. So as you go through these verses, you're just going to see him going, bam, this city. All right, I'm going to this city over here. Now I'm going to that city. I'm going to this city. And so it's going to feel very scattered. But the tone through those scattered travelings is that sense of urgency to get back. So as he's hitting these different stops, he's giving his final encouragements, some of them in the form of meeting with those churches in person, some of it with him sharing letters with those churches. And this is probably where he begins to write some of those New Testament letters that you guys see, right? Um, And so Paul understands that this might be the last time that I get to interact with these people, because if I go back to Jerusalem... Their goal is to put me to death. It's no guarantee that I'm going to see them again. And so there's some heart and some pressure behind these letters in these meetings before going back to Jerusalem. Okay. Now, Paul's break. We're about to get into these next verses. And it's going to seem very unrelated to the main message Okay, and this is where I'm going to help y'all out. Okay, so when we read through this, I don't know if anyone watches uh, anime. Actually, I know a few people watch anime in here. Not many. I wouldn't expect many people do. (laughs) And that's okay. But here's what I love about anime. And we're going to we're going to put some of that into this text here. If you watch it, there is this thing called filler episodes. Filler episodes are episodes that don't directly tie within the main plot, but they still have importance. Already, I see that I'm losing, y'all. So here's what I'm going to do. Okay, we're going we to bring a little mainstream culture into this. How many of y'all been watching Avatar The Last Airbender while, <laughs> while this pandemic's been going on? By a show of hands, by a show of hands. Okay, all right, there we go, there we go. Okay, not too bad, not too bad. Well... This is a perfect example because if you watch Avatar, there's this episode called Tales of Ba Sing Se. And the Tales of Ba Sing Se are these side stories. In, in this whole episode, 30-minute episode, there's 
three to five minute inserts where the main characters, the protagonists and the antagonists, I'm talking heroes and villains, getting a chance from those three to five minutes just to show a side story. And you kind of get a sense of who they are through those side stories, right? One of the best ones is, is General Iroh. Look, if you, don't, if you don't know General Iroh, boy, that episode will bring you to tears. I encourage you to watch Tales of Ba Sing Se if you have not seen it. But that thing will leave you weep, weeping like a child. And yet, this is one of the villains in the episode. So you're like, oh, dang, this dude got a heart. Oh, snap. Anyway, this story isn't necessary for the main plot to continue. Not at all. The, the story could have been told without that episode. But it's there. And it's there simply to enjoy. And so what I want us to do as we enter this next passage is to treat this like a filler episode. Okay? Just a side story that we get to enjoy. And then we're going to dive right back into the main plot. All right, moving on to verse 4. Several men were traveling with them. They were Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derb, Timothy and Tychius from Tremophis from the province of Asia. They went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi and Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed one week. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, and on, and on, and on, and on. A young man named Eutyches, sitting on a windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. End scene. Okay, what happened? <laughs> what the heck just happened here? What? <laughs> you mean to tell me this man was sitting beside a window right here Chris Mack was preaching. He got tired and just fell out the window. What? This feels like a shock, and it also feels very anticlimactic all at the same time. It's like Paul's been preaching this good news. People have been trying to persecute this man. And the moment where he gets all the time that he wants to preach the gospel, Eutyches falls out the window. And typically what happens is that Jews and Gentiles take offense to this message, but he's amongst believers who, who welcome this message, who have welcomed this message. And now we're seeing Paul's message, it, does it contribute to Eutyches' death? There's a few things worth discussing here, and so we're going to keep reading on. This is the, the, the importance of context. So verse 10, Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul kept on talking till dawn, and then he left. 
Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. So we're entering into this, this side story, okay? A lot of questions running through my head. One, did this man really die or like did he just fall and he was injured? It don't seem that clear. Also, like, do we need to do something about Paul? Is this his fault or is it Eutyches' fault for sitting next to an open window three stories down? Well, one thing that's important is, is we got to recognize the young man's age. This, this plays a key role in this. In verse 12, the meaning of young man here in Greek could be anywhere. It could mean a child anywhere between the ages of 8 to 14. We don't know the exact age of Eutyches, but it's somewhere within that window. He was in the house with many flickering lights. We're talking oil lamps here. Y'all ever seen, like, you go to a fancy dinner and you get one of those... um, on those ranch pourers or like gravy pourers, it's kind of got like a, it kind of looks like the, 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 the uh, lamp from Aladdin. <laughs> this is the only way I can describe it. No one's, no one's following me here. Anyway, look, the, the, the lamp from Aladdin is filled with oil. Just picture that. <laughs> and it's got a wick on the end, and that's the way that they burned oil lamps back during that time. So you got oil fumes in the air, air is thick, it's nice and warm in there, and Eutyches is like, yo, man, it's a little hot in here too, I'm getting real tired, I need to sit by this window, I need to try to stay up. And then you got Paul who's just talking. He's sharing an important message, but like we don't even do church for like, how long we do church here? Like two hours? Probably about two hours. This man's talking from evening till midnight. Then when Eutyches leaves, he keeps going till dawn, till the sun come up. He said, I'm not done yet. (laughs) And so we're talking like maybe four to six hours, okay? This eight to 14-year-old trying to hang with the grown folks at the grown table. He can't do it. He can't hang. I remember being this age, I'm thinking with perspective here, like, okay, Second to eighth grade, nowhere in there. I remember going to like the New Year's evening gatherings, worship. Like, look, and and I'm Baptist. I was Baptist, sorry. I'm trying to figure that out still. (laughs) They're like, how you Baptist and you preaching at a Presbyterian church? I grew up up Baptist, that's what I meant to say. And you know what I'm saying? We got the, it's New Year's, we got the music live, it's jumping. And I'm a kid, you know what I mean? So, like, we go to this New Year's Eve party with my, with my family at the church. Preacher's preaching. Music's loud. It's like 8 p.m., trying to make it to midnight. All of that, I'm still in the back, like, just tired. You the keys don't even get all this. I'm saying, ain't no music playing. The house hot. <laughs> Warm lights. Not like fluorescent light bulbs, but we talking like, you know how y'all Christmas time come, you want to hang them, or you in your dorm room and you want to hang up the nice Christmas lights and keep it nice and warm and pretty. And like, this is what Eutyches dealing with. And Paul wants him to, he's like, yo, I came to preach the good news. And that's tough. So I feel for Eutyches in this moment. (laughs) 
And so to also answer the question of like, is he dead or not? What we got to recognize is the fact that he's living is a miracle within itself. The author in the story is Luke, and he does say that he falls to his death. I lean towards the end of saying he probably died and was resurrected. But even if he was not, it is a miracle within itself that he gets to live on because the family finds relief that he is alive. But also, you got to think about this. If he was injured and was alive, I probably still wouldn't be feeling relieved. I'd probably be like, yeah, but my kid got a broken leg right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel any relief at all. I'm glad he's alive, but I still don't feel that relief. (laughs) The point of this message is not to blame Eutyches for falling. The point of this message is not to blame Paul for sharing the gospel and having gospel table talk for 10 plus hours. Maybe the point is that if you're fellowshipping, let somebody know if you plan on having a lock-in. Or make sure you seal the windows. But on a serious note, there is this reality, and this is where the filler episode kind of comes into play with the main story. There is this reality that as Paul comes closer to his final days, he's probably prompted more than ever to use his body as a vessel to encourage his people and to bring as much truth as he can because his hours are starting to dwindle down a little bit more because he's still feeling that that calling from the Holy Spirit that when you go to Jerusalem, there's something that awaits you. Now, this isn't the only time where Paul's recognized the Holy Spirit saying that when you go to this town, you will be persecuted. Jesus told him that in the very beginning, right? He said, I will show Paul the suffering he must endure. But this one's a little bit different. What it starts to do is it starts to mimic the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to verse 13. Paul went by land to Assos where he had arranged for us to join him. While we traveled by ship, he joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed to the island of Samos, and a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he did not want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. And what's unique is that, again, we start to see these moments mimicking the crucifixion of Jesus. This isn't to to press too deeply and to say, no, 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 Paul is not Jesus, okay? But what he's getting ready to enter into mimics what we see. For one, Paul is heading to Jerusalem knowing that persecution awaits him, same way that Jesus was ready to endure that. Eventually, he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be handed over to Roman power, same way that Jesus was. He spends as much time as he can encouraging his disciples before he dies And there are moments in the chapters ahead where these same disciples and these same believers are crying 
with tears trying to persuade him not to go. And he will eventually declare a readiness to lay down his life. Not like he's already been doing that, but he declares it in a way that death will happen soon. And this is where we start to get to the meat, y'all. Verse 17. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plot of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it ain't my fault. For I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. For I did not shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. And that is the main point for today. The gospel message was never meant to cause us to shrink back. The message God wants his people to know is that there is good news. There is good news. There is a way to repent from sin and to turn to God. This is such a simple message from Paul to both believers and non-believers. Believers needed to hear it because he expressed he wouldn't be around soon. And we're used to Paul being around for the church. What happens when he's away? I'm used to Josh being here on a Sunday. What happened when he gone? You know what I mean? I'm like, dang. I think I just told Rome today, I was like, I feel like when he's gone, I'm always expecting something to go wrong here. Now imagine if Paul, the man who's preaching the word of God, says, I'm not going to be around anytime soon. He feared false prophets teaching something other than the simple truth would infiltrate these spaces. Not only that, but that people in those spaces already would start to believe in things outside of this truth. And unfortunately, false words can slide under truth. They needed simple truth rather than any complications thrown in. So this is a message that Paul is sharing with everyone as he makes all of his stops from city to city. It's the same message that he's sharing when Eutyches falls out the window. He says, all right, get back up, young man. Keeps on preaching that message again. He did not shrink back. Now, simple truth 
doesn't make it easy to deliver, does it? I mean, Paul says that he did his work humbly. He did it with many tears. He had his own people constantly plotting to kill him for what he was sharing, but he never shrank back. This man stayed consistent, and his desire was to remain that way all the way until the end. And if he wasn't consistent, then he couldn't have called his audience family. He couldn't have called them that because they wouldn't have known the gospel. That's, that's not to say God wouldn't have used anybody else. He could have, but he used Paul for a reason. And it might have meant that Paul wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to get to know them if he shrank back, if he decided, yo, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I've been putting my life at risk. I done had these stones thrown at me. I done been in jail. Had to prove over and over again that I'm a Roman citizen. Can't deal with this anymore. No way am I going to continue to put my life at risk like this. But Paul actually says his life is worth nothing unless he uses it to finish the work assigned to him by Jesus. Ever since that encounter on the road to Damascus, he stayed faithful to the mission, not shrunk back. But that persecution makes you feel for that guy. Right? We used to know him as Saul. And, you know, I did a sermon on this. We used to know him as the one that was killing Jews for believing in Christ. And so it's strange to, to see him come to this point where there's been so much transformation and to say, hey, I actually kind of feel for that guy. Not only that, but I find myself shrinking back for a list of reasons from sharing the good news. Not even for reasons of being persecuted. What he was dealing with, I ain't got to deal with. I find myself shrinking back for many other reasons. For starters, I find myself falling back because I ain't trying to offend anybody. I got this notion that if I share God's message with anyone, it'll be that day they decide to, I always just picture somebody flipping their lunch tray in the lunchroom and yelling at me, you know what I'm saying? That's very dramatic. But on a lighter tone, it makes me wonder, what would this person think of me if I share this message? Ultimately, without saying it, I'm wondering, how will sharing God's message profit me? How will it make me look good? How is it going to keep me safe when I share it? Because if this is a case where it doesn't profit me, then I'm probably not going to share it. It's the same thing I thought when I was making those mixtapes. Might not profit me anymore. Maybe I should talk about something else here. First of all, gospel ain't, a, ain't about us. It affects us. But it ain't about us. And this kind of thinking butchers the value of sharing the faith. When you share with somebody, you feel good about it, but you're not looking for something in return. That's like me saying, hey, happy birthday. This is for you. Hey, what you going to get me? That don't make no sense. <laughs> I'm not thinking about when my birthday comes with what that person going to give me. It's about you in this moment. And that's what God's message intends to do, 
right? We have our inheritance, so we don't need to think about what we're going to get out of this. It's about what God wants to do through his gospel to the person that needs to hear it. Let somebody else get their anointing. You are already anointed. Don't worry about you in this moment. Worry about them. And God might use you to give it to somebody. The desire to profit by saving face value spills its way into all that we do when we think that way. I think this way. (laughs) This isn't me just preaching at you guys. It's me preaching to myself. We also got to remember that God's word is offensive. It's hard reality, but it is. But accept this reality. We got to accept that it's offensive. But what we don't have to accept is that we are offensive for sharing it. Does that make sense? You don't have to be the one who is offensive for sharing the gospel. How you share the message matters. Not because it offends, right? There is that reality. You're literally saying, people, you need Jesus. You are a sinner, (laughs) right? But how you share that does matter. It don't mean you got to be a jerk about it because it's an offensive message. You share that with a gentle and a kind heart. That's what we are called to do. Share with the intent of hearing somebody else's perspective. What they think faith and religion is about. In John chapter 15, verse 18, I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus says that if they hate you, remember that they hate me first. Most people won't hate you for sharing the faith. If you're not a punk about it. Some might, okay, that's not to guarantee your safety here. (laughs) But it's possible to share the faith, a message where you are literally saying someone needs Jesus. And for them to realize, you know what? I don't think this is for me, but it must have meant a lot for you to share that with me, and I appreciate that. Or, you know, I'm used to hearing this message from other people who, don't, who aren't willing to get me or understand me or listen to me. But you were the first person to do that. And I appreciate that. What are some reasons that you shrink back from sharing this message? Right? Particularly within this climate, maybe you shrink back because you don't want to seem closely connected to Christianity and this idea of white nationalism. The persistence of waving an American flag next to the cross, the passion of guns and God placed on equal footing. You fear that talking about God is going to get you pigeonholed into that category. Well, ain't that even more of a reason to share the good news? Shouldn't that prompt you even more to share truth and what it really is, to show what true Christianity is? Paul is encouraging his elders to keep sharing the truth so that they guard themselves and God's people from folks who want to come in and distort truth in order to draw a following. 
Too many folks in this country give a false narrative of what Christianity is, tying it to an idea of national greatness without recognizing how it hinders the minority, the powerless, the vulnerable. Jesus is very powerful, but he aligns himself with the powerless. So we need folks really willing to show what it means to love Jesus and not put this country on equal footing with him. Amen? Then there's this misconception that this simple message is, it's, century, it's centuries old. Everybody already know about it. Everyone's already heard it. I don't need to share it. You heard it already. It's old. I assume that everyone around me knows who Jesus is. That's, I do that. And it's one of those things that if I'm not saying it, it's just kind of there in the back of my head. Like, oh, they probably know already. They, they probably already go to a church and, and got the invitation. They don't need yeah, they don't need to come to City Hope either, you know what I'm saying? We're not the only church in the city. But we don't even assume that for ourselves we don't need to hear the gospel. We constantly preach the simple message to ourselves on Sundays, in your small groups throughout the weekday, in your own personal devotion and reading time with God, you remind yourself of this truth. So why do we assume that someone else does not need to hear that? As family, let me be the first to admit that I find reasons from, for wanting to shrink back. I find reasons for wanting to shrink back all the time, but I also want to let y'all know that there are reasons that you can step forward. It's often the idea of sharing our faith that, that tends to freak us out. That it's got to be the exact same way that Paul preaches his message, right? You got to hit up this random city. Next time you go out of town, you're going to have to go <laughs> into that city. And you got a boombox now, right? He didn't have a boombox, but now you do. So you got to go ahead and hit up that city and just start street preaching. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But it can be intimidating knowing, like, I set this up. Here we go. It can also be intimidating. We, we kind of joked about this at small group, like, a few weeks ago in a men's group. But, like, the idea of just walking down the street and somebody else is walking down the sidewalk, and you're like, oh, man, should I say something about Jesus? Do I need to talk to him about Jesus right now? <sighs> if I don't say anything, then am I a Christian? <laughs> you start questioning life and you don't say anything to that person. Or, yeah, you just feel convicted if you don't do anything. It ain't always got to be that way, y'all. It ain't always got to be these ways. The Lord might call you to that. And if he does, be faithful. It's hard, but be faithful. But it does not always look like hit up this random city. Next time you go on vacation, hey, sorry, go ahead and preach the gospel. <laughs> But if the Holy Spirit presses you to do that, go for it. But the message is spread in many other settings and scenarios. It's not just this one, okay? This isn't one of those um, prescriptions of a chapter. Josh kind of talked about how, you know, sometimes we read Scripture and we assume that this must be a prescription of how we do things. And this isn't one of those cases here because 
The message is the same. It stays the same, but there are many ways that you can share that message. And maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you, how will you share my message? A few weeks ago, Rome preached to us that when we share our message, when we reach Dionysius and Damaris, we do that in the synagogues, the streets, in the schools. And if you need a recap on that, it would be synagogues, which would represent the church. It's clear that we need to preach this to ourselves in this space, but it's also clear that we need to make room in this space for people to hear that within the context. The streets being, you know, not, not just the streets, but also these spaces where you just regularly hang out, the coffee shop, the restaurant, wherever that might be. What is your street? And then the schools representing the world of academia or the workforce. There is space to be able to share there. And as the weather begins to warm up and spring is on the way, it's nice. You know, we got a week where it's 60. This whole week. Whole week. Hold on, let me double check here. I'm going to let you know right now. Look at this. Monday, 68. Tuesday, 66. Wednesday, 70. Thursday, 61, with a chance of rain. (laughs) Friday, 54, with a chance of rain. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday, 59. Sunday, 55. 54 and 59. Pretty good average. <laughs> Not every day's 60. A lot of warm days. It's going to make you wonder what you're going to do on them warm days. You're going to see a lot of people. Holy Spirit might be like, hey, go talk to him. Ah, not now, Holy Spirit, not now. But we're going to find ourselves interacting with more people. And with our sermon series being about refreshing ourselves to remember basic fundamentals of faith, I know the Holy Spirit will continue to challenge us and ask, will you shrink back or will you step forward in engaging in God's simple truth? Now, I ain't got no exact solutions on how to make each and every one of you do that or even for me. But I know areas where I'm personally challenged. And it's worth thinking through. So what I want to do for this week is to challenge us. What I want us to do as a congregation is to consider this. Pray to God for opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for opportunity. Now, this is where flexibility exists. Paul talked about how he shared his message in Ephesus when they needed to hear it. That wasn't just a point when they didn't know the gospel, but he said that he continued to share even when they knew that to fellowship. When I say gospel, yes, there is that, the, the gospel message. We, we get so used to the, you know, the KGP, knowing God personally, four steps. I ain't necessarily talking about that, you know what I'm saying? That's a key piece you can use, key tool you can use, but there are other ways to share how the gospel has affected your life and the things revolving around the good news that are worth sharing in communities 
for encouragement. And so as you're praying for opportunity to share the gospel with someone that might not know it, I would even say some of you might feel more led to pray for opportunity to reconnect with somebody who's familiar with the gospel. But you're wondering, how are they doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, I can think of people in my life who, um, I was talking with a friend yesterday, letting them know, like, I can think of friends that I care for, and yet at the same time, I haven't talked to them about how their walk with Jesus has been lately. And that can be really hard sometimes, especially if you know someone's struggling. I, I tend to struggle with that for whatever reason. If someone's struggling in their faith, it's hard for me to want to talk about it because that opens up wounds and scars, but sometimes you got to go there. Maybe the Lord's challenging you to do that. Now, the other part of this challenge is I want y'all to think of somebody that can help you be accountable. Someone who's willing to say, hey, did you get a chance to share this week? Did you get a chance to reconnect with that person that you wanted to this week? And this isn't to, you know, if it doesn't happen, to say shame on you. It can, it can feel that way. But it's not meant to be that way. This, this whole thing that I'm talking about, I got a chance to do with my college pastor back when I was living in Indy, bouncing back between Muncie and Indy. I used to go to Ball State. I ain't that old, y'all. <laughs> and um, when I hung out with my college pastor and a few other college friends, he would ask that at our Bible study every week. Did you get a chance to share the gospel this week? There'd be times where one person, a few other people would say they did. There'd be times where the, the room just sat silent. And in that moment, what he said helped me continue on. He would say, all right, keep on praying. And then we'd just move on. He wouldn't ask, why didn't you share the gospel? He wouldn't ask, well, what happened? What what made you feel this way? You know what I'm saying? Like, not even there to add salt to the womb. It's like, you know what? Keep on praying. If you keep doing that, the Lord will present an opportunity. And when he does, it'll be something sweet. There might be times where you share and someone's like, I'm not feeling this right now. All the more reason to continue to pray. Know what I'm saying? This word get messy, but it's what we call it to. And it's the one that Paul stuck his life on. And so, I'll end with this. Paul says in verse 32, it's not up there, but I'm going to just read it. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. So let's entrust ourselves to the Lord and his helper, the Holy Spirit, to build us up as we build up our brothers and sisters while seeking the well-being of others to also be known as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, guys. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your simple message. It's good. It's so good. It's changed our lives. 
And Lord, I pray that your spirit will press on us to want to see that change within others too. What it means to be a Christian can be, it can feel so far out of reach considering everything going on, Lord. So many things have been done in your name, but it's not attached to you at all. Lord, I just pray that we would have that urgency to want to share your word. There's so many ways to do that, God. But we just pray that we would be sensitive to to you. And, And Lord, this is a hard prayer to pray. Like, let's, let's not act like it ain't. It's a hard prayer for me to pray because I know it means that you will do something. <laughs> but, Lord, I pray that we would trust in you as we pray this prayer. I pray, Lord, for those who are not praying this prayer, that it will become one because you might use us to encourage someone greatly. And it's not about us, God, but it's about what you want to do through us. You might use us greatly for someone to know you for the very first time. And so, Lord, we are vessels. We are broken. We are jacked up, but we are loved and adored by you. And that is a good thing, Lord. So as we enter a time of of worship, Uh, Let us pray, continue to pray, and seek you. And to continue to press into your simple message, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.